What is the Spirit of the Lord calling you to do that you know in and of yourself you don't have the power to do? Let's begin with a word of prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, um, I pray this morning that you would remind us once again of who you are and what you've done. Remind us of this identity that we get to have because of you. Remind us how we get to live because of you. I pray this morning that the the words that people hear uh, would be yours, Holy Spirit, and not mine. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you're glorified in all that is said and done here this morning. And we pray this in your name. Amen. So uh, some months ago, before we, uh, we left the community center, we started um, a series that uh, I was intended to come back to sporadically over the course of this year, and the, the title of this series is Under the Influence. And uh, the idea came, uh, comes from Ephesians. When I was studying for uh, uh, the book of Ephesians and, and preparing to teach that, this verse stuck out to me where it says, Ephesians chapter 5, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And so we, we, we ask the question, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And Paul gives us a little bit of information here. He goes on in, in verse 19 of chapter 5 saying, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And, and so he gives us a glimpse of what it looks like to be, uh, to be under the influence of, of the Spirit. Um, he says that, you know, there's joy, there's, there's song, there's, uh, there's thanksgiving, and there's submission to one another that's involved in, in all of this. But, but Paul doesn't really intend to do a deep dive here and, and explain all that it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That wasn't his intent in this, in this passage. I also find that, that Paul's really good about telling you how to do something but maybe he's not as good as showing you how to do something. And I'm the kind of person that I learn by, by seeing something done a little bit better than hearing about it. And so when we turn to the book of Acts, Acts is a narrative. Acts is a story. And through stories, things come to life that you can sort of see and that you can experience a little bit better. And so in order to understand a little bit clearer what it means to be under the influence, we turn to the book of Acts. And we look at all the places in Acts where it says that people were filled with the Holy Spirit. And so uh, this morning we're looking at, at uh, Acts chapter 4. Now, Paul does say something here in Ephesians 5 that's worth noting. He talks about um, alcohol. He says, don't be drunk, instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, what he's saying there is that there's something here that, that looks like what it looks like to be, a, be, be, be filled with the Holy Spirit, but it's not quite like it, okay? It's something here that it's, it's, it's external, that comes inside of you, that changes behavior, all right? um, with alcohol, if you are too much intoxicated, it begins to take control of you, and you relinquish control of, of it. You actually lose self-control, and that leads to debauchery, what Paul says. However, with the Holy Spirit, you actually gain control. When we look at, at what, the, what Paul says in Galatians about the fruit of the Spirit, what it looks like when the Spirit uh, lives in you, and uh, what we see is, is that one of those is self-control. That being under the influence of the Spirit leads to more self-control, whereas with alcohol it leads to less self-control. But there's also something else that he's, he's alluding to. And, and what he's doing is he's pointing us back to Acts. He's pointing us back to the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, um, the, the disciples are all waiting in this room for what uh, Jesus has promised was, was going to come. The, the Spirit of God was going to be poured out on them. 
And so that happens. Um, in a few weeks, um, my brother is actually going to come and he's going to preach on, on uh, this day of Pentecost. I'm really looking forward to that. And I won't, won't steal all his thunder by explaining it all. But I'll, I'll say this, that, that the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church and they go out into the streets and they start proclaiming loudly and boldly and with exuberance the gospel of Jesus Christ. They just go out into the streets and they start proclaiming who Jesus is. And, and the thing about it is, is that there's so many people there from other places that speak different languages and, and the Spirit is, is somehow using their words and translating it and they're hearing it in their own language. But there's all this exuberance and some people are looking at them and they're like, are these people drunk? Right? Because th- there's all this boldness, right? There's all this, you know, this, this bravado, there's all this, this exuberance and, and you know, Sometimes people act that way when they've had too much, right? They, they, they think that they can dance better than they can actually dance or sing better than they actually sing, or, or maybe they think they know more than they actually know. But these people are drunk. They're, they're, they're 10 foot tall and bulletproof, right? That's what they think. They're, that, that there's, this is what's happening, and, and that's not the case at all. In fact, it's not that they've lost control. It's that by the power of the Spirit, you've actually gained control. They're more in control than ever because of the power of the Holy Spirit. But, but Paul's looking back at, at that, and, and, and we're going to come back to this notion that, that, that there's this idea that it's, it's something out there that you internalize that then out of this power that you, that you live, okay? So um, the reason why we're doing this series, to be honest with you, is because I, I want this for myself. I, I want to know what it's like to live out of the power of the Spirit, not just in five or ten minute bursts here and there. I want to know what it's like to live out of the power of the Spirit every day, all the time. Because I look at my kids, and I know that my kids, they need a dad who is living under the power of the Holy Spirit, not under his own power. My kids need a father that that loves them and treats them and, and, and cares for them out of the power of the Spirit within me, rather than me trying to reach down inside of me and conjure it up. My wife needs a husband who is led and filled by the Holy Spirit. My house church, new community church, as an elder, as a pastor, I, I need to be someone who, who doesn't just occasionally experiences what it's like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I need it all the time. And to be honest, I, I look around at, at the landscape of, of fallen Christian leaders, people who are smarter than me, who are more educated than me, that are wiser than me, who are more influential than me, who have accomplished so much more than me. And here are these great people, and because of sin, they've fallen, and they were not able to endure. They were not able to finish the race strong. And what is the difference between me and that person? What prevents me from being one of those statistics and being added to the heap of pastors who've fallen down? The only thing is the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to know what it's like to live out of that power, not just occasionally, but all the time. Do you? That's the point behind this series. And so, uh, Amy just read the passage for us, chapter 4, verses 1 through 22. This is the first time that Peter and John are arrested. And, uh, and I want to go through the, this section of Scripture with you, but I want to explain what happens just before this. In Acts chapter 3... Um, the, the Spirit of God has already been poured out. These disciples have already made some 3,000-plus converts or something like that. And uh, they, they have this habit of going out and going to the temple and proclaiming Jesus in the temple. That's where the crowds are at. And so they're on their way to the temple one day, and Peter and John, they encounter this man. According to, to chapter 3, he was, he was born lame. His, his feet and his ankles, they don't, do, they don't work. And he's over 40 years old. 
His whole life, he has never been able to walk. And so it has been somebody's responsibility to carry him to the temple where he sits there and he begs for money. That's how he lives. And Peter and John, they encountered them, him on the way into the temple. And they make eye contact with him. And here's what Peter says. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And according to Acts chapter 3, he doesn't get up and walk. He's, he leapt up. He leapt up. And he's fully and completely restored and healed, and he follows Peter and John into the temple. And people are noticing him, and they're recognizing him. This is the guy that they have passed maybe hundreds of times before, and, and they've seen how he's not able to move and not able to do it. And here he is. He's, he's dancing around, and he's hanging. Acts chapter 3 says he's literally hanging on Peter and John. Peter and John begin to proclaim the gospel and talk about who Jesus is, and they're making the connection like this guy. He's been healed by this Jesus that they're talking about, and they're glorifying God for this. And they're praising God, and, and this is drawing a big crowd, and, and people are beginning to notice, and, and the high priests notice, and the, the captain of the temple guard notices, and, they, and they, they surround them, and they're listening to him, and they're like, wait a minute, they're talking about this Jesus who just a couple of months ago, we arrested, we tried, and we had him killed. We thought this Jesus thing was done. We thought this was over. We, we put this to bed. Why are these guys proclaiming this thing? So they arrest him. And it's likely that they arrest the, the healed man as well because the next day he's with them when the trial starts. So they spend the night in jail because it was late in the day, late in the day and then they bring him in, in, in the first thing in the morning. And, uh, and, and here's what we see in verse 7. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? This is intimidation, right? This is Annas and Caiaphas, the, the high priest. This is a total 72 men, the most powerful, influential, well-educated men, the Jewish men in the Jewish community. 72 guys surrounding these two. This is about intimidation. There's, two, there's, there's, there's 72 sets of eyes zoned in on them. There's 72 sets of arms folded. There's 72 people going, whose name, whose authority are you doing this by? This is about intimidating them. Because the hope is, is these are two insignificant people. They're nobodies from nowhere. They're, they're stinky fishermen from Galilee. These guys are not going to be able to stand against what we're going to give to them, and they're going to be intimidated, and they're going to run away, and this whole thing's going to be squelched here and now. That's not what happens. Look at verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders. Let's stop there. He's not intimidated. Peter's not intimidated. Notice what else he's not. He's, he's, he's not full of false bravado that comes from liquid courage. Guess what else he's not? He's not resentful. He's not bitter. He's not vengeful. You see, Peter is standing in front of the very same group of people who had Jesus arrested at night, who had a very secretive trial where they brought false witnesses to accuse Jesus. He's standing in front of the very same group of people that condemned his Savior to die. Now imagine... That's you. And someone that you love has been harshly judged, who has been you know, taken from their home and, and tried and convicted late at night in the worst, in the worst case of, 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 of miscarriage of justice, and they're condemned to die. When you stand in front of those people, are you going to be 
respectful? Are you going to be polite? Or are you going to be vengeful and, and hateful and angry? And I want you to notice what Paul's, or Peter's demeanor is here. He's direct. He's respectful. But he's not shrinking back. He's not shrinking back. Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Paul, or Peter is going to, to uh, seize the opportunity that's given to him. He has just been given a platform to proclaim the gospel to the very people that condemned Jesus to die. He's been given the opportunity to speak and to be heard, not just by them, but by all the people of Israel. And he's going to take advantage of this situation, and he is going to loudly and boldly proclaim the truth of who Jesus is. It is in the name of Jesus that this man has been healed. By the name of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. You killed him, but God raised him to new life. He's still at work. He still has power. He's still healing, and he's still saving. And you have done nothing to stop him. He's still reigning. He's still in control. He's proclaiming the truth of who Jesus is. Jesus is the one who is healing. He's not dead anymore. His body wasn't stolen, he's resurrected, he's alive, and he's at work. Verse 11, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Uh, Peter is alluding to uh, Psalm 118, and this is actually a psalm of thanksgiving, it's a joyful psalm. And, and we see this uh, in verses uh, 21 through 24, I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is where Peter goes. He goes to rejoicing. This is marvelous. This is the day that the Lord has made. Like, this is where Peter's mind is taking him. Psalm 118, you guys are the builders. You rejected him. You killed him. But guess what? I ain't mad at you. I imagine because at the cross, Jesus made the great exchange for me, and he took on my sin, and he absorbed the wrath of God in my place because of the cross of Jesus that you sent him to. I am saved, and God the Father raised him up, and he's alive, and he's at work. I'm not mad at you. This is good news. This is marvelous. Do you see? Verse 12, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Do you notice, he, he's not intimidated. He's not shrinking back. He's not full of false courage. He's not full of vengeful anger or wrath. He's direct, he's bold, and he's unwavering in the truth of the gospel. What made him this way? Look at verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. 
and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. This is the heart of the passage, and uh, if you underline or, or uh, highlight in your Bible, this is the one to highlight and underline and one to remember. This is the one we're going to come back to here in a minute, but look at verse 14. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. The Sanhedrin, they didn't get what they wanted. They expected that by their large numbers and by their influence and by their their education and by their wealth and all of this, they thought that they could put these two men on their heels. They thought that they could intimidate them. They thought that they could squash this Jesus thing right here and right now. And instead, these two men stood up to them with boldness and courage. And they didn't expect that. And so they send everybody out and they convene just amongst themselves. And the question is, what do we do with this guy who's been healed? This guy, he's standing before everybody, and I mean, there are literally thousands of people that know that yesterday this guy couldn't walk, and somehow in the name of Jesus, today he can. What are we going to do with that? You see, this is their opportunity. This is their moment where, where they could ask that big question, have we got this thing wrong? Are we on the wrong side of history here? Have we got it wrong? This Jesus that, that, that we tried and we convicted because of our jealousy towards him. Because, because he put us to shame. Because he pointed out our hypocrisy. We were mad and angry at him and we wanted him dead and we wanted him out of the way. Were we wrong in that? This is their opportunity to ask that question. Did we get it wrong? You see, some of you are here today. Or maybe you're watching through the live stream. And you you come to Jesus and you you have this expectation. He's a wise guy. He's a good guy. There's some things that you can learn from him. Certainly, he didn't deserve to be condemned and killed. But you know what? He's not God and he's not my Lord. He's not reigning and ruling over me. He's dead. Like Gandhi and like all the other really wise people in history, great for giving advice, but he's not God. And you need to see and ask this question, have you gotten that wrong? Because here's 72 men, and standing right in their midst is living proof that the name of Jesus is powerful, and they don't see it because they don't want to. Is it possible you've gotten it wrong? What are we going to do with these, with this men? Well, they do what hard-hearted men do. They wield human authority instead of submitting to spiritual authority. They reconvene the trial, they bring them back in, and they're warned, they're threatened. They're threatened not to proclaim the Jesus, name of Jesus anymore. But look at verse 19. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. We cannot but speak. The apostles clearly refuse to stop proclaiming the name of Jesus. Uh, Daryl Bach writes of this. He says, an implication of this reply is that the leadership no longer represents the expression of God's will and way. Their responsibility for Jesus' death, already noted by the apostles, is the reason. With the opportunity to respond still available, the leadership is rejecting the chance to come back in to God's will. So the apostles will follow God's call over the divergent will of the council. The apostle Paul and the apostle Peter, 
in Romans 13 and in 1 Peter 2, tell us as Christians that we are to submit to earthly authorities placed over us. But there is a line, and Peter and John just pointed it out. When the will of God and the will of human authority diverge, we follow the will of God. But I want you to notice, Peter says, for we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. We can't be silent about this. Have you experienced the cross in such a way that you can't be silent about it? Have you understood the depths of God's love for you and what he did for you? That before the foundations of the world were laid, that he called you, that he knew you, that he sent his son to die for you. When you experience the fullness of the gospel, can you keep your mouth shut about that? They couldn't. So the response of the council was to, to threaten. What does it mean? Let's look back at verse 13 now. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. And here's the lesson of Acts chapter 4 when it comes to what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It means this. It means being filled with the Spirit means becoming what in and of yourself you could not become. Becoming in and of yourself what you could not become. You see, we talked about this at the beginning, that this is an outside filling, okay? The source of this power is outside, right? You consume too much alcohol, something external becomes internal, changes your behavior, you lose self-control. But the Spirit is get different. The Spirit outside of you, by, by the blood of Jesus Christ, by faith, you get the Holy Spirit and comes and lives in, inside of you. Something external, a person, becomes something internal, and from that, self-control and power comes. You need to understand that the power comes from outside of you. And the world and the culture in which we live tells you something different. Our culture tells you that the power that you need to change is all inside of you. The, the, the passion that you need, the, uh, the, the drive that you need, everything that you need in order to change your bad habits, in order to, to change and become the person that you want to be, everything that you need is all inside of you. And all you have to do is ignite the light inside of you. Because baby, you're a firework. That's what our culture tells us. Everything's inside of you. What the Bible tells you is, no, 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 what's inside of you is desperately sick and deceived. The power to change and become the person that God has called you to be, to become the person that you want to be, to become that person, the power comes from the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit means becoming what in and of yourself you could not become. And you see, Peter himself shows us the truth of that. When we look at the Gospels, what we see is Peter's all over the place. We see Peter as the most prominent disciple. And the reason for that is because Peter had a big mouth, and he was always talking. And so his words get recorded, maybe. I don't know. But Peter's the most prominent disciple. As we see early on, there's this storm, and all the disciples, they're in a boat, and uh, they're crossing the Sea of Galilee, and there's this big storm, and they see Jesus actually walking across the water. And Peter sees Jesus, like, can I do that? 
Come on, Peter. So Peter gets out of the boat. What a courageous guy Peter is. And then, and then he notices the wind and the waves, and he begins to sink. And the next thing he knows, Lord, save me. Um, there's a, an instance where Jesus tells his disciples that they're going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be killed. But God the Father is going to raise him from the dead. And Peter takes Jesus aside, and he says, God forbid it, Lord. What do you think about that? Are you going to tell the Son of God, God forbid it? That's pretty gutsy to tell the Son of God what he could or, or should not do. That, that, that's the guts that, that, that Paul or Peter has. And Jesus turns to him and he says, get behind me, Satan. You don't have your mind set on the things of God, but on the things of man. There's an instance where uh, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up, up this mountain. And he reveals his glory to them. And not only that, but there's two dead guys from the Old Testament that show up. And Peter's looking at this, and he's like, what an opportunity. I'll build three tabernacles. I'll build three tents for, for you guys. This will be an attraction, and people can come and see this. And, and this time, instead of Jesus rebuking, the, the, the voice of God the Father rebukes Peter. And he basically says, shut up. Close your mouth and open up your ears to what my son has to tell you. Because Peter's full of this, this, this brash courage. He doesn't think before he speaks oftentimes. There's this one instance where he comes to Jesus and he, uh, he, he wants to impress Jesus. And he asks him the question, so Jesus, you know, when it comes to forgiveness, you know, if I forgive somebody seven times, is that enough? He's like, well, no. Try 77 times. No, it's bigger than that, Peter. But see, Peter is the guy that he wants to be courageous and strong. He wants to be bold. He wants, he wants to have responsibility. He wants to lead. He wants to impress Jesus. He wants to be that man. But in and of himself, he doesn't have the strength. He doesn't have the power. It's just not in him. It's not there. When we look at Acts chapter 4, consider that this account of, of Peter and John before the Sanhedrin, that this probably takes place, and this is my guess, but it probably takes place about two months after Peter's biggest failure. Okay, so uh, the day of Pentecost, it means 50. 50 days after Passover, uh, Jesus was killed at Passover. He was raised from the dead three days later. He spends 40 days walking around, talking and showing himself and revealing himself to people. Then he tells his disciples to wait for the Holy Spirit. Jesus ascends to, the, to heaven, and about seven days later, on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit is poured out on the church. What we see in Acts 4 probably takes place, I'm guessing, within a couple of weeks of that. So within two months of Peter's greatest failure, you see, the night before Jesus was killed... Jesus turns to all of his disciples at a, at a meal, and he says, all of you are going to desert me tonight. All of you are going to abandon me. All of you are going to walk away from me. And Peter's like, they might, not me. I got your back. I will die with you. And Jesus says, Peter, before the rooster crows twice tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times. And sure enough, later that night, Jesus is arrested, and all the disciples scatter. Peter decides to follow at a distance, and he gets into the courtyard just outside where Jesus is being tried. And some servant girl comes up to Peter and says, hey, I know you. 
You're with him. You're one of his followers. No, I'm not. Nope, don't know him. Two more times this happens. I don't know the man. And according to Luke 22, somehow Jesus is in a position where he can actually make eye contact with Peter. And when Jesus denies Jesus the third time, Jesus looks straight at him and the rooster crows and Peter runs out and weeps. He has denied Christ three times. He's abandoned him to save his own skin. And he swore that he would be courageous. He swore that he would be brave. He swore that he would be bold. And he turns out he's just a coward like everybody else because he doesn't have it. In and of himself, he doesn't have what it takes to be this great man of God. And he fails. How is it that in just two short months, he's standing in front of the same people that crucified Jesus, and he's standing there, and he's directly and boldly proclaiming the name of Jesus? What has to happen for a man to undergo that kind of change? He gets filled with the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit of God in him that fills him and empowers him. Being filled with the Spirit means becoming what in and of yourself you could not become. It says, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, They were astonished. Being filled with the Spirit means becoming what in and of yourself you could not become. What is Peter and John becoming? What are they becoming? The next verse, the end of that verse says, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They recognized they'd been with Jesus. Not too long ago, this Jesus was standing in their midst, and he was not intimidated by them. And he didn't shrink back from them. And he wasn't full of false bravado. And he didn't curse them. He was simply direct. And he simply spoke the truth. And here are two of his disciples, and they're living the exact same way and behaving the exact same way. You see, they're becoming like Jesus because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit means becoming what in and of yourself you could not become. Here's the lesson. I want to be like Jesus. Do you? With my kids, I want to look like Jesus to them. I want to love them and be tender and strong and courageous and sacrificial. I want my kids to see Jesus in me. That will not happen apart from the Holy Spirit. I want my wife to experience what it's like to see Jesus in me, not just occasionally, not just here and there, but all the time. In order for that to happen, I need the Holy Spirit living in me. In order to be the friend in order to be the pastor, in order to be the elder, in order to be a person in ministry, I, I need the Holy Spirit all the time. You know, we talked about this early on when we, when we did this series back in the community center when we began this, that it's not about quantity. It's not about quantity. It's about influence. Look, uh, you might think that some people have more of the Holy Spirit than you have, but that's not the case. If you are in Christ, you have access to the same Spirit of God. 
You have the same quantity. The question is, how much influence do you give to the Spirit? The illustration of, of, of like you're standing in front of the shower, right? And, 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 and there's two knobs. There's the hot and the, and the cold, right? When it comes to your life, if, if the Holy Spirit's going to flow through you, right? What is, gonna, what is it going to come out of you? In your words, in your actions, in your behavior, what is it going to come out of, of you? You control that. And the question is, is it, is it going to be more Justin? Is it going to be more of what I want? Is it going to be what, what I think is just and fair? Is it going to be, be, be more Justin? Or, or am I going to turn that down? Is it going to be more of the Spirit? Is it going to be more of His power? Is it going to be more of His will? It's going to be more of Him that flows out of me. And you see, if I am spending time reading the Word, if I am spending time listening to, to other Christians who are reminding me of the truth of the Gospel, if I am allowing the Spirit to fill me, then when the time comes and the opportunity arises, I can turn me off and I can turn the Spirit on and the Spirit of God can flow through me to the people that need to hear it. A pastor friend of mine says, live a life that requires that there's only a gospel explanation for it. Live a life that that only a gospel explanation will work. So that somebody will see you and they'll see your behavior and they'll see that the things that are flowing out of you and they will know that's not them. That's something bigger than them. That's something more powerful than them. That's something greater than them that's flowing through them. And so we come back to the question that we started with. What is God calling you to do that in and of itself you know you don't have the power to do it? You can't do it. And maybe for you, it's a broken relationship. Maybe there's somebody that you need to forgive. And you're saying to yourself, there's no way I can forgive that person for what they did to me. Yes, there is by the power of the Holy Spirit to say, I forgive you and God bless you and mean it. You can experience that by the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you have a a relationship with somebody and you see that they're going through a difficult time in life and you can see the ways that they're turning to things that they shouldn't and it's destroying them and you need to have a hard conversation with that person and you need to be able to remind them of the truth of the gospel and who they are because of Christ and what Christ can do in and through them but you're scared to have that conversation with them because you know it's going to be a hard one and you're worried about what they're going to think of you. You can have that conversation but it's not going to come from your own strength. Will it be to proclaim the gospel? You're too scared to maybe get up and walk across the street or go talk to that co-worker, or sit down with a, with a friend over coffee, and, and to build that relationship so that you can proclaim the gospel to them. And you're wondering, where's that, that courage going to come from? It's from the Spirit. Maybe it's looking around at the world and seeing the needs that are all around you. The widows and the orphans, those people who are lost and who are lonely. Will you have the power of the Spirit to actually clear something from your calendar to make space for other people. Will you ask the question, is God calling me to take in a child who's not wanted? To foster? To adopt? It's a big undertaking. Let me tell you, you can't do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't. What is God calling you to do that only the Holy Spirit will enable to happen? 
Being filled with the Spirit means becoming what in and of yourself you could not become. You know, the truth is, we reach down deep inside and try to muster up this kind of courage, this kind of boldness. We're not going to have it. And if we believe that lie, that it's in us, we're going to wind up in one of two very bad places. Either in the depth of despair because of our failure, or in the heights of self-righteous, bloated pride. It is only when we give up and say, I can't, but I know he can. Being filled with the Spirit means becoming what in and of yourself you could not become. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we need that kind of power. Father, remind us of the truth that the power that raised Christ from the dead is the power that has work in us. Father, you have, you have called us. You have changed our identity. And on top of that, you've given us purpose. You've sent us on a mission. You've given us good works created in Christ Jesus to do. But you didn't send us out powerless. You've given us what we need in the Spirit. I pray, I pray, Father, that we would repent. Repent of the ways that we haven't believed in you, that we haven't trusted you, that we haven't given you access, we haven't given you influence, that we haven't turned over control over ourselves in our words and our thoughts and our actions. I pray, Father, that we would turn in faith this morning and embrace your power and your strength and become a people that is able to accomplish things that are mind-blowing and that people will recognize it's not us, it's you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.